This is Radio Energy News. Good afternoon, you're listening to Radio Energy. The time is one minute past five. I'm Emma Barton. On today's show... Over lockdown, the purchase of pets has become increasingly popular. However, with normal life coming back into sight, we look at how the easing of restrictions increases pressure on the SSPCA and the surge of unwanted pets. When you're um, adopting a dog or buying a new dog, you've got to really be serious about it. In COVID news, the stay-at-home restrictions have been lifted in England and the government message is changing with the rollout of COVID vaccines nationwide. From Monday the 29th of March in England, you can meet outdoors in groups of six people or two households coming together. Our reporters take a look at the updates in the world of coronavirus news and the impact it has had on the country so far. I think small business owners, there may be cause for concern there regarding cash flow and how much they can plan into the future and spending and so forth. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, today announced a series of policies in a live broadcast via the SNP's Twitter page. Her speech included the plans her party have made for housing, the NHS and a new independence referendum, as they aim to be re-elected in the Holyrood elections in May. Our chief political correspondent, Niall Fancy, has more on the report. Nicola Sturgeon will be hoping to repeat the election successes that the SNP have had over the last decade, and her statement today has given the public a signal of her intent to hold on to her majority. The Scottish Parliament was officially dissolved last week, as parties and candidates prepare their election campaigns in the hope of winning their constituencies after the vote on the 6th of May. The SNP are currently favourites to win, according to the polls, and now have announced some of their headline policies. Over the coming weeks, we will set out further plans to recruit more staff, bring down waiting times, open more elective care centres, invest in mental health services, set up a new national care service, and invest £250 million to tackle the drugs death emergency. One of the standout announcements was the changes that are to be made to the Scottish child payment, which will be doubled, according to the First Minister. She also reinforced her government's commitment to providing free school meals for all primary school children, stating that ending child poverty is a priority for the next Parliament. We spoke to Josh Aaron Menny, an SNP candidate, who shared his views on this announcement. For me, well, there's a few policies that started to me. The, the, the Scottish Child Payment and, and Nicola Sturgeon announced that she's going to double that if re-elected, if the SNP are re-elected into government, is probably the big game-changer policy for me. I think when she's put ending child poverty at the, at the heart of the next government, that's a really impressive um, policy, I think. As always, independence is the issue dominating the Scottish Parliament election. The SNP have made it clear that they intend to hold a second referendum in the near future. The First Minister said in her statement that once Scotland has recovered from the coronavirus pandemic, independence is one of her party's priorities. A vote for the SNP in this election is a vote to re-elect me and the SNP government, but it is also a vote for your right, when the crisis is over, to choose independence. Members of the SNP have been waiting to hear what Nicola Sturgeon's plan is for the next Parliament. Today's statement was the first major policy announcement since the Scottish Parliament was dissolved. In order to hang on to their majority, the party has to send out a strong message, and members seem to be excited for the future. We spoke to SNP member John Deans about the promises made by the First Minister. My initial reaction was uh, positive. I think the increase to the child payment is required. And just now I think it shows the difference between the focus of the Westminster government, who still advocate spending on vanity projects such as Trident and HS2, whilst the Scottish Government are focusing on 
individuals with real life, real problems in Scotland and how to support people in Scotland. The, the statement today around the child payment, I think, like you say, I think that's positive. I think for me, the standout policy in the, the, the upcoming manifesto for the SNP is, is the drive towards independence. I think that other other parties are trying to make independence and pandemic recovery as separate issues. I think they're inextricably linked because we need the full powers and full levers of independence in order to build our way and grow our way out of the pandemic. The independence movement is strongly opposed by Boris Johnson and the UK government, and tensions have risen in recent months given the prospect of another referendum. The First Minister did not hold back in her criticism of the Conservative government this morning. I don't have much time these days for the who's up, who's down approach to politics and for indulging anyone who puts self-interest ahead of the country's best interests. Boris Johnson has made it clear what he thinks of the way we do things in Scotland. In the past, he has accused us of free riding on taxpayers south of the border. He has said it is monstrous that we have free personal care. And he said a pound spent in Croydon is of far more value than a pound spent in Strathclyde. Nicola Sturgeon's announcement today has set the tone for what can be expected of another SNP government should they win on the 6th of May. The picture she has painted is one of prosperity and hope for Scotland's future after coronavirus. In the coming weeks, the Scottish National Party must persuade the public that their promises are viable, whilst managing an exodus of members to Alex Salmond's ALBA party. That was our chief political correspondent, Lyle Fancy, on Nicola Sturgeon's statement this morning. We can now talk to our Holyrood correspondent, Anne Proctor, about how the SNP's promises fit into the election campaign more broadly. Aaron, how has SNP reacted to Nicola Sturgeon's speech this morning? I mean, uh, throughout the SNP, it has been um, very positive. Nicola Sturgeon has showed this time and time again that she's a great um, speechmaker, and this was definitely no exception. And she has set out some really big policies, um, and people have been getting very excited about it. What key promises have the other parties made in their campaign so far? So today, uh, the Scottish Conservatives set out a building drive, claiming that it is the biggest one since devolution. It's unclear whether they will focus on affordable homes. Uh, Scottish Labour has announced today as well a very similar NHS recovery plan to the SNP, uh, with focus on cancer diagnosis and treatment again. And the Lib Dems have proposed today as well, um, raising the starting age for formal schooling to age seven. This morning, yet another SNP politician, the councillor for Shettleston, Michelle Ferns, joined the newly formed Al party. Could potential further defections begin to damage the SNP's hopes for May? Um, I don't think it will have a huge impact, um, as it was unlikely anyway that the SNP was going to get a lot of um, regional votes, if any. Um, but is definitely making clear the factionism and the split within the party itself. And that was our Hollywood correspondent Aaron Proctor on the current state of the Scottish election campaign. A new report published today by KPMG suggests that the Scottish economy could recover to pre-COVID levels within the next two years. Cited as a best case scenario, experts estimate that Scotland could record an annual GDP growth of up to 5.5% in 2021. Sean McGill has more. As the vaccine rollout continues and restrictions across the UK ease once again, the question of how the economy will recover from the coronavirus pandemic comes into sharper focus. Today's report from KPMG provides hope 
forecasting that in two years' time, Scotland could return to the economic levels seen before the pandemic. This comes after the economy sustained a 9.6% hit in 2020, with practically every sector suffering a loss. Particular strain was placed on tourism and hospitality, as well as retail, with recent industry data showing average year-on-year takings down 24%. While painting a positive picture for all four nations, the report forecasts that Scotland's recovery could outpace the UK-wide average, as economist Joe McCready explains. A high proportion of Scotland's output is found in the services sector, so this accounts for about three quarters, and you might say think services sector and think hospitality. But over half of Scotland's output is in business services and finance and governmental services. These sectors of the economy in many ways have been untouched by the pandemic because most of their employees would be working from home. This relatively quick recovery can be attributed to the successful vaccine rollout, pent-up demand, government support schemes, and the fact the economy hasn't fallen significantly below pre-pandemic levels. And while McCready says the report can provide hope, he also warns for caution. It tells a very positive story of Scotland's economic recovery, but it's a headline figure showing the overall, and if the whole story might tell a different picture and may not be as equitable. I think small business owners, there may be cause for concern there regarding cash flow and how much they can plan into the future and spending and so forth with still the unpredictability of this of this virus which is uncertainty is the antithesis of what any business would really want especially a business that doesn't have the broad shoulders of of others. Without those broad shoulders small business owners have felt the toll of this pandemic more than most. Amory Bain who set up a diet consultancy in March has endured a gruelling first year in business. I started my business on the 31st of March 2020, so it couldn't have happened at a worse time for me. Obviously, if I had a crystal ball, I would never have um, you know, planned it that way, but that's how it happened. I'd given up my job and, um, and everything was in place for me to start. So to be absolutely honest, because it's a diet business and it's face-to-face, it was really, really difficult because then we had to take everything online. Um, but also for me, it was finding clients. It really impacted that as well because for me, um, I like face to face to promote, you know, go out and promote the business face to face at any sort of event. So I couldn't do any of that. So it really did impact it initially. Um, it was a really, it was a struggle for me actually um, in the first instance. And while today's report can provide small business owners with optimism, for people such as Fife based nail salon owner Susie Main, that optimism doesn't outweigh the harsh economic reality. I am optimistic, I think you have to be, but I think, I don't think I'll be taking a wage for a very long, like quite a long time now. Um, Because as the business owner, you are the one that obviously has to take the hit. Not all jobs and businesses lost in the pandemic were able to be accounted for in the report said KPMG's Scottish Regional Chairwoman Catherine Burnett in a press release earlier today. The company previously predicted a two-speed recovery for Scotland, estimating that different areas of the country would recover quicker than others. It has since clarified that this outcome looks improbable, with the economic division not geographically motivated, but instead down to a sector-by-sector imbalance. As shown by this change in prediction, the pandemic has taught people to be wary, to brace themselves for bumps in the road. Like any forecast, some will wait to look out the window and see it for themselves. But for the time being, 
The grey clouds over Scotland's economy are set to disperse at an encouraging rate and business owners can plan for blue skies up ahead. The SSPCA has become overwhelmed with the sudden increase of unwanted and stray dog admittances due to the coronavirus pandemic. This has caused them to send out an appeal urging the public for support. Our reporter Rachel Kinnear has more on the story. During lockdown, many shelters such as the Scottish SPCA have seen increased pressure on their rehoming centres, with many members of the public buying new pets. However, as lockdown went on, many have soon gone back to their jobs and have lost the time to take care of their pets, resulting in pets ending up in shelters. Due to this, dog shelters are now overwhelmed as they can no longer take any more animals in. According to statistics from Dogs Trust, there have been record levels reached regarding spikes in prices for the most popular dog breeds, with price increases as high as 89% for dogs such as Dachshunds. With a cost of almost £2,000 in June during lockdown, compared to just under £1,000 in March of 2020. Many families have decided to adopt puppies during this time. Miriam Mathy, who's 19, has gotten a second dog during lockdown. She talked to us about her experience. Yeah, um, basically our family have had a little um, Westie since um, 2015, um, but we kind of decided during lockdown like this was the perfect time to get another dog um we wanted to get another Westie but there just like wasn't any opportunities available for um Westie pups um but we found um we recently found uh, lasso apps puppies um that were up and available for adoption. Miriam talked about her feelings about the SSPCA being overwhelmed at this time. It really saddens me to be honest like I'm, I'm the kind of person that really can't watch um any of those kind of dog programs just because it gets me so upset um but like that's the thing like when you're um adopting a dog or um buying a new dog like you've got to really be serious about it and like the whole thing like dogs aren't for christmas they're for life and um Kathleen Kinnear also got a new puppy during lockdown. She spoke to us about her reason for adopting a dog and why she thinks that others may have pushed themselves to get a pet in lockdown as well. We got a dog during lockdown because our other German Shepherd had recently passed away in February of 2020 and we just felt that the house was far too empty without a dog and that's why we decided good time with people at home, we'll get a new dog now. I definitely think a lot of people bought dogs during lockdown because of lockdown um, because they perhaps felt that it was something for them to do. They were in the house all the time and that's probably one of the reasons behind it. She also expresses her concern about things going back to normal, which will inevitably mean leaving the dog on its own more often. I'm very worried about how my dog's going to react when everyone goes back to work. Um, The reason being, I think a lot of dogs will be like that, like lockdown puppies, because they're so used to people all around them all the time, it's going to be such a wrench for them when we eventually do go back to work and they're going to be left on their own. They won't know what's happening. The SSPCA are urging people to rehome pets rather than buying them and make sure that they have the time to take care of them. Currently, it's very difficult for them to take in any more pets. And that was Rachel Kinnear. England is slowly emerging from lockdown, insurance companies refuse to pay out over the pandemic, and London records its first day with zero deaths in six months. Here are today's top Covid stories with Emma McAndrew. The stay-at-home rule has been abolished in England as groups of up to two people from two different households can meet outdoors from today. From Monday the 29th of March in England, you can meet outdoors in groups of six people or two households coming together. 
the government message has changed from stay at home to hands-face space fresh air, although people are encouraged to stay as local as possible. This development means that people are permitted to meet in private gardens and outdoor sporting facilities such as golf courses and tennis courts can reopen. Outdoor sports facilities such as tennis and basketball courts, golf courses and open air swimming pools will also reopen and you'll be able to take part in formally organised outdoor sports. Weddings can also now take place with up to six people attending. A single dose of the Pfizer or AstraZeneca vaccine has been 62% effective at stopping care home infections, a new study has found. The research conducted by University College London assessed data from over 10,000 people aged over 65 at 310 care homes in England. It concluded that one injection provided 56% protection after four weeks, which increased to 62% after five weeks. Thousands of business owners across the UK are still waiting on their insurance money to cover losses made due to the pandemic. Business interruption policies are designed to cover financial losses if a firm cannot operate, but many insurers have issued documents claiming that they do not cover losses in the event of a pandemic. Courts have ruled that insurers should be paying out claims, although small businesses are complaining about their slow pace of doing so. As COVID cases rise rapidly in France, President Macron has vowed to accelerate the vaccine rollout efforts. Previously, the government has planned for the vaccination of over 70s to commence mid-April, however Macron has announced targeted campaigns for certain professions such as teachers. Yet new cases are at 30,000 a day and those numbers have been lagging behind other European countries and hospitals are expected to face an unprecedented shock within the next three weeks. Two people who fled from a quarantine hotel in Ireland have been caught and returned. New rules that came into effect last Friday state that those coming into Ireland from one of their 33 red-listed countries must quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. The Irish Defence Forces are overseeing the operation and are responsible for the transport of buses to and from the airport. Irish Foreign Minister Simon Cavoni has voiced his disapproval at the breach and that the government were trying to avoid the quarantine feeling like some sort of military detention centre. That was Emma McAndrew. Still to come, we hear about what is currently ongoing in international news and updates from Myanmar after the country was seized in a military coup. We will later hear from our international correspondent with the latest updates surrounding the Suez Canal crisis, but for now, here is Ali Dunn with the local news. Glasgow councillor Michelle Ferns has become the most recent SNP defector, joining ALBA, the pro-independence party launched by Alex Salmond last week. The Shettleston councillor who helped deliver a £500 million settlement for female city workers intends to stand on the Glasgow regional list for Hollywood in May. Mr Salmon said that Ferns will be a great representative for the city of Glasgow as she is a strong advocate for social justice and women in the city. It has been revealed that during an inquiry into the failed tram networks of Edinburgh that the council spent nearly £2 million on external legal service, a bill that taxpayers have been paying off since 2015. The council only released this information following intervention from the Scottish Information Commissioner. Edinburgh City Council originally planned to keep it a secret due to confidentiality concerns. And now in international news today... Myanmar suffered its highest daily death toll yesterday as more than 100 people, including children, were shot dead by military troops. The country has been under control of the army for over eight weeks now as they seized power in a coup that overthrew the government after its election on the 1st of February. The UK government has urged all British nationals in Myanmar to leave the country as soon as possible. 
Millions of people in Beijing woke up to a strange sight after a sandstorm hit the city yesterday, a blue sun and a yellow sky. Air pollution was recorded at maximum level of 500. The strange phenomenon is caused by different light scattering patterns and usually when fine particles like sand are present. This will be a familiar scene to those who have seen the pictures of the sun from the Mars rover, where the sun appears to be blue. Here with an update on the Suez Canal crisis is our international correspondent, Aiva Ozola. The 400-metre-long container ship that has been stuck across the Suez Canal for almost a week now has been freed from the shoreline. According to the Suez Canal Authority, the course of the Ever Given, which is almost the size of the Empire State Building, has been corrected by 80%. Chairman of the Suez Canal Authority, Osama Rabi, comments on the accident. An accident this big has several mistakes, several causes. Part of it could be a technical mistake, which is under investigation. There could also be a human error, which is also under investigation. The issue of lightening the load is of course plan three, or the third scenario, which we hope not to reach. But if we need to, we will have ships with cranes, empty container ships with cranes that can remove the containers, one by one off the ship, and put them in the other vessel until we empty the whole load. The Ever Given has been blocking one of the world's busiest trade routes and the shortest link between Asia and Europe. An alternative route around the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa can take two weeks longer for ships forced to reroute. Political and media analyst Mohammed Al-Masri comments on the importance of the Suez Canal. Economically, um, you know, Egypt brings in more than $5 billion in annual revenues um, as a result of uh, the Suez Canal. So it's a main source of foreign currency for the country. From IKEA furnishings to tens of thousands of livestock, estimated 7 billion pounds of goods are being held up each day on the Suez Canal due to its blockage. As a result, oil prices have gone up and retailers are expecting shipment delays. IKEA, the Swedish furniture giant, has at least 110 containers on the Ever Given. Another Rotterdam wholesaler with 80 containers of tea said there could be chaos for the company as supplies dried up. Egypt has sent father and three teams of vets to examine livestock stuck at sea. Rescue workers from the Suez Canal Authority and another Dutch firm are using tugboats to wrench the ship. Further efforts to move the boat are happening today. Now it's time we turn to our sports correspondent Jessica Mathieson, who has today's sports news. The Women's Six Nations Championship begins this week with Scotland set to take on England in their opening match. The rivals will face off with the Calcutta Cup in Doncaster on Saturday, with England very heavy favourites to win the tie. Their last meeting ended humiliation for the Scots as England ran out 53 to nothing winners last February. Meanwhile, in men's football, Scotland are preparing for their final World Cup qualifier this month against the Faroe Islands. After a disappointing start to the campaign against Austria and Israel, the Scots are still searching for their first win. The Faroes are currently 107th in the world rankings, but manager Steve Clark has made it clear complacency will not be an issue against the Minnows. If we beat the Faroes midweek, which we have to look to do, we have to play well, we have to respect the opposition because they're, they're nobody's mugs. Uh, every game on international level now is difficult. Edinburgh Rugby will travel to France this week to take on Racing 92 in the Champions Cup, while cross-city rivals Glasgow Warriors will also head to France to take on Montpellier in the Challenge Cup. The Warriors are without starter Robbie Ferguson after the centre departed the club this morning to rejoin the London Scottish. British Basketball League side Glasgow Rocks are also dealing with major departures after parting company with American duo Christian Keeling and Ronald Delft. 
both players have left the club after an impressive three months in Scotland following Sunday's 83-99 defeat to the Surrey Scorchers. And finally, the Scottish Cup returned this weekend with Highland League outfit Brora Rangers sealing the limelight. The fifth tier side pulled out what is widely regarded as the greatest Scottish Cup upset in history by defeating last season's finalist Heart of Midlothian in the last round. Brora are set to host League Two side Montrose on Saturday and manager Stephen Mackey has spoken of being professional heading into the next round. Yeah, that's, that's the problem now. Everyone's going to expect us to um, to, to, to win that game, but, but we certainly don't take anything for granted. Yeah, we'll um, we'll approach this game um, and, and prepare as professionally as possible and, and try and get the right result. And that was Jessica Matheson with your sports news. And finally, here's our entertainment correspondent, Gregor McRae, with an update on something we've all been waiting for for months, the status of Edinburgh's summer music festivals. Remember this? I put in the work and take the profit Looking at my girl, I want a goddess Well, festivals and other live music may be coming back sooner than you think. Edinburgh's summer sessions have confirmed today that their events will still be up and running throughout August this year. Taking place in Princess Street Gardens, the spectacular lineup consists of acts such as Anne Marie, Tom Jones, Simple Minds, and DMAs. Like all other live music events, summer sessions grinded to a halt last year because of the pandemic. However, organisers of the event have reassured concert goers that gigs will go ahead following government guidelines and ensuring the safety of everyone attending. Edinburgh isn't the only Scottish city determined to make music festivals happen this year. Glasgow's Transmit Festival has confirmed their lineup for this year along with the dates, which are two months later than usual. Headliners taking to the stage this September include the Cortinas, Leon Gallagher and the Chemical Brothers. As well as Transmit, the city is also bringing a massive event to Glasgow Green the day before, with Biffy Claro taking centre stage alongside Youngblood, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes and Porridge Radio. But for some countries, live music has already made a comeback. This past Saturday has seen Barcelona host the largest live event in Europe since the start of the pandemic. Only after passing a negative same-day Covid test in the morning prior to the event were 5,000 fans able to pile into the Palau St. Jordi Arena to watch indie rock band Love of Lesbian. This concert acted as an experiment and as a pilot to examine the effectiveness of rapid testing in preventing COVID-19 outbreaks. The Love of Lesbian gig in Barcelona offers a hopeful glimpse of what we can expect in the near future. Earlier we spoke to a few members of the public who are planning to go to gigs later this year and how they feel about it. Hi, I'm Lauren. Um, I'm going to see New Order in September. I think it will feel really kind of weird and I'm like a tiny bit scared about it, but it is an outdoor um, concert in a park, so that's making me feel a bit better. Like I'm so desperate to go, even though I am a bit scared, I'm like, I think it will be so worth it. Hi, I'm Chloe Barclay and I'm going to see Harry Styles in Amsterdam. I think I'll be really excited, but also like quite nervous because the, like, the thought of it now, like being in like, an arena with like tens of thousands of people, it's like really scary but I think it'll be really exciting and like it'll just feel like normality there's been so much anticipation building up 
to like go into events and go into like concerts and stuff so like I think the second I see Harry walk on that stage I'm just going to be filled with love and joy for the man and for the experience. Hi I'm Julia and I've got tickets to see Riverside Festival at the start of September. Yeah I'm I'm excited I'm not sure if um, like clubs will be open and stuff beforehand so I'm not sure if it's going to be like the first ever time being in a big crowd or if I'll have had the experience of like a smaller club. I'm not really that nervous like I know other people um, haven't got tickets because they're like a bit like socially anxious but I'm not worried about that so much and I feel like if it's going to go ahead the vaccine will be at the point where like you don't need to be worried. I can see like in the future being like oh I don't really feel like going out tonight however I will go simply because I've had this experience of like not being able to do it for a year. Let's all hope this summer will be filled with sun, fun, music and good vibes. Emma back to you in the studio. Now it's time for travel updates and the weather. You can expect delays this evening on Dalkeith Road as traffic lights are currently out of action on Blackett Place, though an engineer has been requested. With Scottish water repairs underway, temporary traffic lights have been introduced on Walter Scott Avenue, just off of Gilmerton Road, and you can expect queues here this evening. Local diversions have been put in place as the junction at Macdonald Road has been closed due to infrastructure works on Leith Walk, though Annandale Street is now open to traffic. And for the weather in Edinburgh this evening, you can expect intermittent clouds and scattered showers with temperatures at around 13 degrees. You've been listening to Radio Energy. I'm Emma Barton.